0: Hi
1: folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from TSPN, that's the Survival Podcast Network headquarters, also known as The Ant Hill. Today I have a cool, cool, cool show for you today. I get to introduce you to somebody that got put on my list of favorite people uh, back in February when I went to the Liberty Forum, uh, Carla Garrick, who is the current serving president of uh, the Free State Project. She's going to talk to us today about the Free State Project and a lot of other really cool things. I'll have her on in just a minute. I think you're going to love this lady. I really do. I think you're going to realize that uh, a very well-spoken, very polite, very nice lady can also be one hell of a warrior for liberty. Uh, that's why she goes on the favorite person list. Before I bring her on though, let's go ahead and take care of the housekeeping segment of the show. First up, let's take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day, number one today, MERS Radio. That's right, M-U-R-S-Radio.com. You got a hyphen in there if you want to go directly to their site, MERS-Radio.com. What is MERS Radio? Well, MERS is not radio that you're going to hook up and then start talking across states or, you know, even counties. MERS is a limited uh, secondary communications technology, generally limited to about two miles in range. But you don't need a license to use it, and it allows you to co- combine security along with uh, secondary communications with motion detectors around your property. By the way, a motion detector last night alerted me to the presence of a certain masked bandit who has been literally destroying my bird feeders, ruining my garden, and terrorizing my cat. And that little alert allowed me to uh, slip up on uh, the masked bandit. And, of course, we're talking about a four-legged master raccoon here. And uh, introduce him to some uh, number four buckshot from 410 Shotgun. And he will no longer be terrorizing our household. Thank you, MERS Radio. And thank you, Rob Belleville, for providing me a great product to to, uh, to have both security and communication. So that's one good reason to check out MERS Radio. You can find out more at, uh, again, murs-radio.com. Or the best thing to do, go to the survivalpodcast.com. And click on the banner for the sponsor you're looking for in the right-hand margin. That will protect you by making sure you're dealing with an actual sponsor. There's no affiliate links or anything like that. These guys pay for my endorsement one time and done for the year. So what we're talking about here is just making sure you're dealing with the right company instead of a, a, a brand pirate, basically. Next up today, Save Castle Royal, as I've always said, the original survival podcast sponsor. I called them the original one because they were the first. They were the first ones that said, hey, Jack, let me send you a check. Let's get going, man. Let's, uh, let's sponsor the show in a formal way. In fact, I had to come up with the entire advertising program that I run, specifically because Vic wanted to sponsor the show. And I had to come up with a way to do it that was different because I always do things a little bit differently. If you really want to know my advertising policy, and what I put through a sponsor through before they get on the show, just go to my site, click on Advertise. You'll see that sponsorship stays sold out, and you'll see that uh, it's not just show up with money. It doesn't work that way. Personal endorsement and background check by our listener ad council. Uh, and SafeCastle, of course, flew right through that with no problems. And they've been here now. They're going into their fourth year as a sponsor of the show. And, you know, always take good care of you guys. They also have a great discount buyers program that allows you to get discounts on everything that they sell for the rest of your life once you join. It's forty nine bucks. But if you're part of the member support brigade, guess what? You get it for free. Additionally, right now, uh Safe Castle is running one of the most aggressive sales I've ever seen on em- emergency food uh, emergency storage food. Uh so check them out today. If you click on the banner on the website, you'll go right to uh the details of their sales. They have everything you can think of for long-term storage food out at special deals. And for this sale, these special deals are, are mostly being uh, announced or, or uh, made available to everybody, not just their discount buyer members. So it's a great time to buy. If you are a, uh, a member, though, either because you've purchased your membership or got it free as an MSB member, there's also a rebate program that you get on top of the already great sale. So check them out today. Again, you will find them at safecastle.com. Their other domain is PreparedPro. They'll take you to the same place. But, again, as usual, better to go to the thesurvivalpodcast.com. And click on their banner. Next up, remember, you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And I also have the uh, the TSP Copper store uh, up and running now. So you can get really cool copper coins available at tspcopper.com. Good for barter within AOCS Merchant Network. Uh, a very low-cost way to add a little bit of uh, extra metal to your portfolio. Copper is the third metal, the, uh, the little brother, I guess, to silver. Maybe someday the new silver, who knows. But they're cool coins, and because they're so affordable... And because of some of the designs we have, they're great for spreading messages of liberty, honest money, and other great things like that. So check it out today, TSBCopper.com. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You do that, you'll get exclusive content available only to, available to members, like over $150 worth of free eBooks the day you join. Get them for free. Uh, discounts to 32 vendors, like the ones I've just told you about. Mers Radio gives you a 5% discount on top of what I just said about how great they are. Uh, it's a good deal. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, and prior service. Uh, give me a, send me an email before you join jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com tell me who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did I'll send you a special discount code to thank you for your service and uh, that discount will apply to your recurring memberships as well uh, with the housekeeping wrapped up I would like to uh, introduce my special guest as again I said she got added to my list of favorite people in the world when I met her she's a wonderful person and an extreme advocate for liberty her name is Carla Garrick they also call her Queen Quill. Uh, actually, the uh, yeah Queen Quill, uh, because of the porcupine association with the Free State Project. And Carla will tell you more about why they use the porcupine as their mascot. Uh, but because she is the current serving president, they call her Queen Quill. I just call her a great friend and a hell of an advocate for liberty. And I'm so pleased to be able to introduce her to my audience today. Hey, Carla, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thank you. Hey um, I had a great time with you guys up at uh uh the Liberty Forum and uh in learning all about the Free State project and I've talked about you guys on the air on the air but a lot of people may still not really know what the Free State project actually is so can you kind of tell everybody what is the Free State project
0: Shira and Jack, thank you so much for having us, and also it was such a pleasure to meet you at Liberty Forum, and Dorothy, your wife, and my goal in life is to get you guys up here. (laughs) But uh, let me explain what the Free State Project is. So it's basically a geopolitical movement to try and attract liberty lovers to the state of New Hampshire. Um, people will take a pledge, and when 20,000 people sign the pledge, that will be a triggering event, and then people will start to move to New Hampshire. There are a bunch of us who are kind of impatient, imagine, <laughs> and uh, we've started to move already. So currently we have more than a 1,000 liberty lovers who've already moved uh, to New Hampshire and are doing all kinds of different things to try and get more liberty in our lifetime.
1: Can you talk about some recent successes? Because I've had some devil's advocates on the air going, well, they have an income tax on dividends or whatever, and if it's supposed to be the free estate, why don't they have this taken care of? And and my answer was because they, they picked a state that was already leaning in the right direction, but none of them are there, and they went there to transform things. And you guys have been active, and you've gotten a lot done over the last 10 years. So could you talk about some of the things you've recently accomplished?
0: Sure. And, and you know, if you think about it, we, we haven't even really started with the Free State Project because, you know, until that 20,000 number, and we're at about 11,000, until the 20,000 is reached, the people who pledge, we're really just sort of, you know, boots on the ground. We're just people who have moved out here. But we have had several successes with only a thousand people so I can only imagine if we had two thousand or the twenty thousand what we could accomplish. Um, on the in the system sort of side so on the political side of things uh, we've had 15 state reps who've been uh, elected to the state house and one of the things that's interesting about New Hampshire is that it has the largest legislative body In the world I believe and that means that there are 400 reps and they basically represent about 3,000 people and what's appealing about that is that means that every rep basically knows their constituents everyone's home phone number and home address is listed you can call your rep and have a discussion with him um, and talk through issues so just with the thousand people we have right now, we actually have 15 people who have been elected to the state house, and they've worked. I mean, we were lucky as well because there was that sort of anti, you know, Obama backlash, anti-Democratic Party backlash, um, in the last election cycle, and so we've been able to work with sort of a caucus of libertarian-leaning locals, you know, because you know you have to be here at least. I believe, two years to run and um, working together with that sort of caucus in in air quotes. um, They've done several things. You know, they cut the budget last year by 12 percent, which is almost a billion dollars.
1: By the way, nobody's cut a state budget other than New Hampshire recently by that much with doing it on purpose, not because they had to
0: exactly you know and and one of the appeals of course of a state like this which doesn't have any uh, personal income tax and doesn't have sales tax and i hear you on the devil advocate thing on the dividends tax that is an issue that is something that um free staters who you know and once free staters come here and they they get into politics they're actually no longer free staters the free state project itself is really just the vehicle to attract people to move to New Hampshire. So once people are here, they're kind of in air quotes again, you know, on their own, but, um, the, the free staters or, you know, the local politicians who've run, um, yeah, they're, they're cutting the budget. Uh, we, you know, we have people who are very active who've created things like nonprofits that look at medical marijuana and decriminalization. We've had some successes with that and in fact got vetoed by, um, Governor Lynch last time it went through and which was really disappointing because it's the first and only Republican, uh, state body I believe in America that has ever passed a medical marijuana bill and it got vetoed by a democratic uh governor so you know the (laughs) irony is quite sick there
1: (laughs) yeah yeah I remember that was in the the libertopia film at the end that it passed the the house and senate but then the the governor vetoed it
0: exactly and 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 the vote lost with the only uh two votes in in the senate and that you know libertopia which is a wonderful documentary that was made by christina heller and her team and um that's certainly something your listeners if they're interested in learning more about the free state project can go look at it's uh libertopiafilm.com and i believe it's available on itunes and through amazon and all those uh good you know internet avenues and um you know that that was made a couple of years ago, and we've still been fighting the good fight. And so it's it's all up in the state house and in the senate again this year in terms of decriminalization, as well as um, trying to pass a, a medical marijuana you know, medical marijuana law that would be good for patients.
1: Yeah, Um, absolutely. I mean, on that note, I know that I, I have a huge gamut of listeners, and some people are very much on the conservative side of things and tend to think anything with marijuana is bad. But what I want to point out to you is right now your doctor can prescribe medication that is basically methamphetamine for your teenager, so he'll sit in his chair but a dying cancer patient can't use marijuana. And you really have to put it in that perspective to get what people are trying to do. Uh Your doctor can prescribe for you cocaine, uh, right. her- heroin derivatives, uh, yep. all types of things that would be considered, if you looked at it at the street level, far worse drugs than the pot user. But, and some of these patients, Literally, they can't eat without it. Some people with advanced MS and some other situations. And I think the Libertopia film is very inspiring. And I think what you'll learn about one particular individual and his desire to be able to medicate himself this way without being a criminal might be able to change your mind a little bit if you're leaning to the other side of that issue.
0: Exactly. And, and, you know, sure, I understand, you know, with the conservatives, it's sort of – for better or worse, I mean, I think they're, they're subjected to um, government propaganda when it comes to something like marijuana. Um, you know, you and I are both proponents and people who deeply believe in, the, in, in freedom. And freedom means, you know, freedom is messy and freedom means that people have to be able to make their own choices. So. Uh, you know, it would be great when the audience sort of moves beyond, you know, the, the yeah. paradigms that have been created by the state to say, "Oh, well, it's dirty hippies who smoke grass." You know.
1: Well, and let me let me tell people that may not know how we got plot illegal in the first place. There was a it was a race based campaign that basically told white men that black men were going to use it to steal their their white women. That's exactly. that's how this was done. It was completely legal, and the big. Thrust, and this is why even what you call industrial hemp is illegal in the United States, wasn't really about the, 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 the drug side of things. It was the fact that it was an early competing biofuel. Uh, and and had many other industrial applications that people in the steel, petroleum, and automotive industry didn't want to compete with, and that was a big part of the money that got behind the propaganda campaign that made it illegal in the first place. Uh, I'm not saying anybody should go out and fire up a doobie tonight. I'm saying let's just look at the the history and the reality of what's been done to the American people. And as a liberty advocate, I think when you make a plant illegal, uh, you've, you've trampled on my liberty and other people's liberty. Even if I don't want the plant, I don't want you to tell me I can't have it.
0: Exactly, and uh, I mean I couldn't agree more. <laughs> and there's some great, you know, there's there's really there are a bunch of documentaries that have come out over the last, you know, I would say six to eight years um, that people can find on things like Netflix or on Amazon, and um, and it's an eye opener because when you actually, much like you know, some conservatives might be into revisionist history where you learn things about, say, Pearl Harbor or, you know, those kinds of things. Um, I think a lot of people's minds can be opened by just really studying the issue a little bit and understanding where it's come from. But, you know, marijuana is just one small sliver of the things we're trying to do and we're trying to accomplish. And I certainly hope with something like the dividends tax, which for me is a an issue, you know, I'm trying to get and attract people to come here. I I fondly call it the Yankee Hong Kong. You know, we'd like to create this real bastion of freedom, this real beacon that we can show the rest of America and the world. Um, and for that, you know, we need, we need more um, activists. We need more people who can come, who are willing to run uh, for various government positions. And people do everything from, you know, just, Functioning on their their school board or working on some kind of you know line item budget for a small town, the thing that's so attractive and so wonderful about New Hampshire is the process is really still very very direct.
1: Yeah, you know the thing about that really impressed me when I was up there is how there's so many different viewpoints of how to work on creating a freer society. You have people in the movement that are like, I don't care about voting, I don't care about senators, I don't care about congressional representatives, I'm working outside the system, and you have people working inside the system, and they disagree about the best path, but they agree on where the path goes, and they are the most intelligent, civil people towards each other, even when they disagree. I've ever had the pleasure to be around.
0: Well, that's a wonderful compliment, and I do think that's one of the things that makes what we're trying to do here and what we actually are doing, you know, th- this is really happening. It's not a pipe dream. It is, it's happening from the ground up and we are attracting incredibly smart people. And I was doing an interview with uh, Reason Magazine with uh, Brian Doherty, who is, he's doing a book on Ron Paul's campaign. And he, he sort of crystallized it for me by saying what makes the Free State Project so unique people who come here so unique is because of that sort of paradigm where it's like in the system outside the system we don't have to be right it's not to say that you know only politics is going to be the solution or only civil disobedience is going to be the solution we're not quite sure so we can sort of try all those methods and see what's going to happen but while we're doing it to For for the most part, because, you know, we we can all be a little snotty from time to time and get into snits. But, you know, for the most part, it's civil. And I think both sides actually learn from each other. And that's what's great, too. You know, we have a strong civil disobedience arm out in Keene. And, you know, they, they take some flack and they give some flack in terms of what they think the best tactics are. But we're all fairly willing to listen to each other, and ultimately it boils down to the follow-through. So if you're going to do something, and you're going to do something outrageous, um, make sure that, you know, if the state comes with their big boot and they step on your neck, that you follow up and that you take action. Real
1: quick, Carl. Yeah, it's a, that's a great point, and I think that the reason that there's so much civility between each other is because if you're a libertarian, you don't get to tell some the very nature of it. I don't get to tell you what to do with your liberty. Exactly. So people would think that like libertarians are totally opposed to socialism. I'm not opposed to socialism as long as I don't have to participate. Right. Or if you want to go create your socialist, you know, little compound, and you want to do it with your money and bring people in and get donors and run it however you want to. You can have all the socialism you want until you want me to participate in it. So I don't even have to debate with you whether or not socialism works. I just have to say that I don't want it done by a state and, and have it be forced upon me, and people should be able to choose how they live. So we don't have to debate a lot of these things. All we have to do is agree upon the fact that the state capital and lowercase s both should get out of the business of doing this stuff, and let's do it for ourselves.
0: Exactly. And and that's sort of the opt out example and, and I, I make the same argument all the time where, uh, it's it's like, look, you know, if you want your socialism you can have it, but just don't force me to partake in something that I find morally reprehensible. <laughs>
1: Sure, sure, because you're going to take my money and do things with it that I would never do with my money. Right. And it's not that I'm greedy and I don't want to help people. It's that my definition of helping people and the government's definition of helping people are dramatically different from each other.
0: Yes, yes, they are.
1: (laughs) I, I can't help people by shooting them in the face, spraying them with mace. Beating them with a club, uh, that, I don't call that helping. Uh, creating a welfare society where people become dependent and can't even look after themselves, all of that stuff I don't consider helpful. So when you take my money and do that with it and tell me, see, we're spreading the wealth, I don't really see it that way. It's not spreading the wealth in many instances. It's diluting and destroying the wealth.
0: Exactly, and you know that's that's one of the beautiful things here as well is we started several private charities because we want to sort of lead by example and show people these things can be done. Um, there's the Shire Society, um, sort of for New Hampshire, the Shire, and uh, we've done we you know we we've gone to refugees who have come here because they're governments where they're from are so corrupt. And I think in a lot of ways, a lot of free staters sort of see themselves as political refugees within the state of New Hampshire. We're moving here for a reason, because New Hampshire is the most prosperous state and still the freest state in America. But even here, you know, it's, it's kind of time people have to take a stand, people have to say these things are important.
1: You know, speaking of getting things done and taking a stand, you had one gal, I can't remember her name, that she decided, okay, my thing that I'm gonna do is that the knife laws in New Hampshire are ridiculous. I guess there was a lot of, uh, Massachusetts influence that caused it or whatever. And she took that on and she basically said that at this point I'm done. You know, and, yep. like, she wrote a book, and, like, it's the blueprint for other people in other states. So you want to tell people a little bit about, I, I don't remember her name, but oh, what she did?
0: Her her name's Jennifer Kofi, and she's actually one of our state representatives. She works, uh, her day job is she's an EMT. Um, so she's definitely, you know, sort of who who is both aware of humanity and mankind and, you know, stabbings and knife wounds and that kind of stuff. But she um, she just pushed an agenda where she said, you know, there should be no laws about knives. And New Hampshire is now the only state, I believe, in America where there are literally no knife laws. And, um, because the
1: law is, there isn't one.
0: It, well, exactly. You know, so if you want to walk around with your your cane with your sword on the inside or with your switchblade, you're welcome to do that. Um, but but what what must
1: have happened then is then everybody started stabbing and cutting each other, right? Like the day they made it legal, like so you guys like have people laying in the streets now with blood coming out of their sides, right?
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, no, surprisingly, you know, people are way more responsible than we're told we are. Um, that the propaganda machine in the mainstream media and all the scaremongers and fearmongers like to say. I am one of those people who believe, you know, we're actually mostly inherently good, and that, quite frankly, the bad people, the sociopaths, the people who are attracted to power and control, are the ones who go into government.
1: Now, you mentioned you guys, how you know, about refugees that come from these, these nations with oppressive government? My experience in dealing with people like that is when they look at what the American people are allowing to happen in America, they're outraged. They're like, don't you know where this leads? Don't you know where this goes? Have you experienced the same thing?
0: You know, it's, it's, it's tricky because you know, I'm I'm an immigrant. I moved to America from South Africa. I grew up in a police state under the apartheid regime. So, you know, I I personally probably am a little more skeptical about how a police statism works. But naively, when when I originally moved here, you know, I I believe the land of the free, the home of the brave, and. I- certainly was a lot more like that in I would say the mid 90s and then of course we had 9-11 and then things just started to escalate and have escalated to such a level where where it's you know it's it's all the police state markers are there. One of the reasons, um, my husband and I left New York City and decided, okay, now we are doing the move and we are moving to New Hampshire was being in Chinatown in Manhattan and coming around a corner and seeing like a, a police officer and he may actually have been military. I wasn't paying that much attention, but in, in like full SWAT gear with, with a machine gun and an an Alsatian dog that was on a choke chain, and I hadn't seen that since, you know, hardcore anti-apartheid protests in in the mid-80s in South Africa, and I was like, oh my god, where do we live now?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of Americans, have, it's just been such a slow, tedious, one piece at a time, and they've grown up with it, they don't even realize what they've lost, but I think when you come from a place where it was already there, you came here, you experienced it being much, much better, and you start to see the progress back. It's it's far more evident to you. And I think it's it. You know, we don't have to look. For, we can look far back to like Anne Rand and, and the work that, that she did with her writing was was pretty much saying you're going there.
0: Right. Why are you
1: going there? Don't do
0: this. <laughs> and it's I mean, it's sad. I mean, I think it may be part of the human condition is that sort of wave of more freedom, less freedom. But really, you know, if you look back at, you know, the the American exceptionalism and those ideas, you know, we were in such a good spot and things are not so peachy anymore.
1: Now you guys up there to help spread the word about this and get people together in foster community. You run two big events: Liberty Forum, which was the one that I spoke at in the winter, and you guys do a thing called Pork Fest in the summer. Can you tell us more about those?
0: Sure. So um, and and you know we loved having you out for Liberty Forum, and and I think you guys are coming out for Pork Fest, right?
1: We're not going to be able to make it up this summer, but we're, we're, we're pretty much have knocked off on the calendar to come back to the forum next year.
0: Okay, fantastic. Um, so Porkfest, which is P-O-R-C-F-E-S-T dot com, and uh, that pork stands for porcupine, which is our mascot. And, you know, people will ask me, in fact, I, I was just, before we, we went on, on the air, and we'll probably talk about this at some stage, I was reading through my deposition because I'm suing, the police department of Weir, and, you know, having to spell out, and he wanted, the lawyer was very curious about this porcupine idea, and basically, it's the mascot of the Free State Project, and the idea is that porcupines are incredibly peaceful creatures, but you don't want to tread on them, you don't want to poke them, you know, we could be a little prickly, too, so we just really want to be left alone. Forkfest Fest um, is our summer event. It's a week-long camping event where about a thousand to a thousand five hundred people come out. Um, it's in Lancaster, New Hampshire, which is up in the White Mountains. It's incredibly beautiful, and we just we hang out. We have fantastic speakers. We have a bunch of really fun events. This year we're doing um, a roast of uh, Chris Lawless, who some of your listeners may recognized as Ron Paul's freaking giant and um, that'll be emceed by Bob Murphy who the economist and um, people like Angela Keaton are coming up from antiwar.com we have uh Adam Kokesh, who, uh, of course, is a uh, staunch, you know, anti-war proponent, but also a veteran. Uh, Stefan Molyneux, ph- philosopher extraordinaire in terms of um, liberty ideas and sort of ideas of voluntarism. So it's, it's, it's just, I mean, Porkfest is just a lot of fun. We've been doing it for, I guess, nine years now. And it's a great recruitment tool. It was one of the things that really cemented from for me the decision to move
1: and I think that what I noticed when I was at Liberty Forum anyway is that there are a lot of people that come that don't already live there, like so it's not just everybody that's already there. There was a lot of networks you could see of people that already knew each other, had been to events before, but there were also people that were coming in from mass, Vermont, and things like that, and I think that's very encouraging. Because what I found is you leave those events wanting to go back. You want to be surrounded by people like that. And I think it's an incredible recruiting tool. You had people as far, you know, I came in from Arkansas. uh, Folks came in from Florida. uh, And I think it was really great to see people come from all over to be part of something like that.
0: I mean, I think that that is exactly it. It's an outreach opportunity. Obviously, you know, those of us who are in state will go as well just to support it. but. But the general idea is we want new people to come to check us out, you know, if if there's a going off in your listeners' minds where they're like, ding, 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 this actually sounds like this could be a viable solution for, for the challenges they're facing this is the opportunity you know the speakers make it easy so that you have something to do but we have various programs set up including the ambassador program where people can just come and they can ask questions and really get a sense of what does it mean you know uh, let's say by way of example um, I often hear from people who who want to move but their their real estate investments are underwater, and you know, not to be the naysayer, but hey, it's called survival podcast. (laughs) I guess I get to to be a little negative. Um, You know, I I personally do not see the economy getting better over the next five years. So the question becomes, if someone's underwater right now, do you wait and wait and wait and then come when, you know, your other resources or maybe your savings are depleted? Or do you decide this is the right time? I'm going to cut my losses and come out. And I think both Forum and Porkfest sort of give people the opportunity to come to meet the community and it really is about the community. I mean, that is the little beating heart of what the Free State Project is, is to get a bunch of like-minded people together who actually understand what's happening. They understand the growing police state. They understand um, economic issues you know they probably hold a little physical gold and silver you know they might have a couple of tin cans in their pantry and um and so there's something really incredibly exciting and dynamic and and i don't know beautiful i guess um about bringing all those people together and sort of saying this is it we get it and we're going to build this This community within a community within a state that actually kind of gets it. I mean, New Hampshire's slogan is "Live free or die." I mean, you don't get more "Hey, we know what's up" than that.
1: Yeah, I I think all you guys need maybe is is uh, some kind of filtering process for people from Massachusetts. (laughs) Uh, I think you're right, (laughs) This is, this is not just about New Hampshire. This is what drives me crazy about anything. I watch this show called House Hunters with my wife all the time. Yep. I don't really like it, but she watches it, and I can tolerate it. And you see these people like, you know, Steve and Mary are tired of life in mundane Sheboyganville, Idaho, uh-huh. and they're interested in experiencing Europe. And then they go over, like, to Berlin, and they're looking at it and they're like, this is nothing like home. And they're complaining that it's not the same. Right. Well, you didn't go there so it would be the same. You went there so it would be different. And you know, that's, you know, true federalism isn't the person leaves Georgia and goes to New Hampshire to make New Hampshire like Georgia. It's the person leaves Georgia because New Hampshire has more opportunity and goes there for what New Hampshire offers and, and vice versa, that people can then choose within a republic the state that's most in line with what they want. So it's almost like 50 corporations competing for your business as a resident, that's, that was the model that we were set up with. I just don't feel like that's where we are anymore. But you guys are trying to say, hey, we'll take the lead and we'll be that person competing for your business.
0: It, exactly. I mean, Jack, I couldn't say it better myself. Um, on the, on the math hole, you know, the, the, the guys <laughs> from Texas here over the border, um, Jen Kofi, who we were just talking about a little earlier, introduced this sort of tongue in cheek, um uh, Legislation where it talked about, and this would all have been privately funded, by the way, so it wouldn't be state money um, okay. taken for it, but that we were going to put, there, there are a lot of back roads that actually go into Massachusetts where people do not know that they've left New Hampshire. And yeah. because the laws between the two states are actually so far apart in terms of um, particularly gun rights, knife rights, those kinds of things, um, we were going to put up road signs, you know, saying, you're now leaving, you know, the state of New Hampshire, so you need to stop and, you know, do X, Y, Z with your gun. In fact, for most times you can't even take it in. Um, sure. And so that that was sort of one of those fun little things we like to do once in a while in in the legislature. But also to to the mass, mass holes is – you know, we we're we're actually making enough, tra- or we're getting enough traction, and we're making inroads to an extent. Um, where we 're totally hitting above our weight class, and so we are starting to get a bit of backlash from the the Democrats, the unions, you know the people the parasites, the people who sure. are benefiting from from state largesse and from suppressing other people 's individual rights and I just read a letter this morning, a letter to the editor and the union leader, I believe, and uh, apparently about seventy thousand uh people leave Massachusetts and move to New Hampshire every year. And the exciting wow. part is a lot of those people are actually moving because they agree with what we're doing. Now sometimes they get confused and they're like, oh no wait, we <laughs> do want these services after all. But but there is a, a strong enough feeling, you know, or strong enough people come to the state because they are seeking what it has to offer.
1: Sure, sure. And that's that's great. And that's what you want in any state, including a state that's a socialist utopia. If that's what you want, then i got a great place for you. It's called Massachusetts. You can go there right now. You can pay lots of taxes and give up your freedoms. The thing with the sign you were talking about, I actually thought that was a great idea. I would send you guys a check and donate to that fund. And, and the way I heard it put was basically it was just going to be a list of, you're now leaving New Hampshire, the following rights no longer apply to you as you enter Massachusetts. And it was just going to be a list, and I, I'd love to see it. I don't see any reason not to do it. To me, that would be a great way for the state to, to, to attract people that actually want what the state has. And, uh, it reminds me of a, a complete inverse relationship. There's a sign, when, I don't know if they still do this, but when I was living in Pennsylvania, if you would come across the border into Pennsylvania from West Virginia, there was a sign that had the speed limit and the fines you paid based on how fast you went over the speed limit. Uh-huh. So they had like a price list. It was like, you know, it's, the speed limit was still 55 back then. And it was like, you know, 55 to 65, 250 bucks, 65 to 75, 300 dollars, you know, and it was like, Wow, that's, so this would be the inverse, you know, this would be like, hey, you want to, this thing on the other side of the sign is say, now that you're here, you have these rights, you know, so you could print one sign on two sides and save money.
0: Oh, that would be great, you know, because I actually notice it when I drive from from New Hampshire into Boston, you know, how it's. I mean, it's so quaint. I just, I, I really do love New Hampshire because, you know, their, their road signs when you cross the border are things like, welcome to New Hampshire. It might say it in French up near the Canadian border. It's it's welcoming. It, it'll say, oh, seatbelt laws are not required, but, you know, you uh, kids under 18 and common sense for all. And then you go <laughs> into Boston and it's just, you know, the first sign you see is like, um, state police, and I always want to go and just like switch those signs and just have it read police state, and yeah. <laughs> and you know, and then it's like oh, this litany of stuff, and it's click it or ticket or you know uh, aerial bloody blah, and it's just you, it's actually tangible the difference, and I think that is something that's going to become more important. Um, over time, you know, I think one of the really interesting things that is bubbling up through through all of this and all the political change and all of those things is, you know, going back to states states rights. And what does that mean? And how does it work? And, you know, and how do you assert it? And the beauty of New Hampshire is they still think that way and it still kind of is that way.
1: Yeah, I think the entire concept of government today is backwards. So it, what we have today is this hierarchy where first we see how much your local government can step on your face, and then when they're done stepping on your face, then the county steps on your face, A- and then the state steps on your face, and then the capital S state, or the federal level steps on your face, where the, 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 the bodies of government were actually set up to do exactly the opposite. It should be that the local government should be saying to the county – Everything that you want to do to other people in, inside of this local community, you better have a good reason for and explain, or we're going to assert our sovereignty as a local community and tell you to go screw, and then the county should be facing the other direction saying that to the state, and the state should be facing the other direction saying that to the federal government. And the federal government should be, you know, engaging in activities that the Constitution says they should do, like promoting not providing general welfare, uh, ensuring commerce, treaties with other nations, and not really paying attention at all to what the state of Texas or Indiana or New Hampshire is doing, uh, except in the concept of interstate commerce. And and that's just falling down so The reason that I think we need movements that get involved at the state level is to to put that dynamic back in place, because the individual can't stand up to the federal government, but the governor and the state legislature and the state senate can. Right. And they can do it constitutionally.
0: Right. And, and, you know, I I definitely think, you know, for me personally, and this is not like a free state project thing, but, you know, I I think – you know, the, your smallest suppressed minority is the individual. And so, like, I like just everything on an individual basis. But if we're going to have some form of government, state government, you know, local, keeping it localized, I actually find I do quite successful outreach with even teachers, maybe not teacher unions, but teachers who teach in New Hampshire who um, who understand they actually hate the mandates that come down. From the federal government, they don't like their jobs anymore. They don't feel like they're accomplishing something, and so uh, we have a strong homeschooling, unschooling movement here. We we attract a lot of those people. You know, people are smart, creative. I'm sure they're going to come up with alternatives that go even further than charter schools, possibly private tutoring. Again, who knows? But. I think most people intuitively understand that keeping things local, i.e. under your own sort of control or you know who's screwing you if someone's screwing you, um, you know, it's something that appeals to to people across the board.
1: Well, you know, I want to ask you kind of a a devil's advocate question here because I've had people ask this as me. Okay. Uh, And and I'm on board, by the way, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. And that is, sounds like a great idea, but... You know, it's too big of a thing to change or whatever. Why do you believe that the, the Free State Project is actually going to work and accomplish its goals?
0: Um, good question. Um I mean partly because uh because I'm a dreamer and, and this is the reality I want and I'm a doer and I think you know, we can make it happen if we get enough people together to make it happen. Um we're we're moving to a place that's the most prosperous state in America because freedom works. The irony, you know, I love it when people talk about Massachusetts or they talk about Vermont and sort of that ideal of, oh, go have your socialist utopia. You know, people never mention or never think about the causality between low taxes, no personal income tax, 101 other reasons that make New Hampshire pretty much awesome, um, and the prosperity that is here. So I think the fact that we chose a place um, that already has has the foundation to build onto it, I think the unique sort of structure of taking in the system, out of the system, both political and civil disobedience, is something that um, is, has, to my knowledge, in any event, never actually been tried on such a a concerted basis, and then I think just the fact that we're attracting people who actually get it, so who who knows, but I feel, you know, I'm certainly a glass half full kind of person as it is, but I do feel like what we're doing is unique. It's never been tried. Um, we're dedicated. We're smart. We're determined. We're all of those things, and if we can attract more of those those kinds of people, productive people who want to come and to say, you know, this is it. I talk to a lot of people and, you know, they're contemplating moving overseas or moving their assets overseas or, you know, and I came from overseas. I get that. I could easily move to South America or Costa Rica or Belize or wherever. But I'm like, you know, I, I kind of want to try it here. I want to see if we can make something, if we can make history in in America and sort of go back to those ideals and those beliefs and those things that are vitally important to kind. Yeah. Not too <laughs> overstated. <it. laughs>
1: yeah. And I mean what I'll add to that is it makes me think of this, I, I can't remember the name of the guy or whatever, but there was this documentary I watched, it was like a Nat Geo thing and it was this guy that was going to take these lions that had been raised in captivity and re-release them into the wilds in the savannah, someplace in Africa where they had, the lion population had been depopulated. Mm-hmm. And everybody said it'll never work, you can't do it, they don't know how to hunt, What you know? they, they, they recognize men, men and they're not afraid of men and the, they, they will just find whoever's around and beg food and, and they'll be dangerous to the people, but you know, they won't so he takes them out, and he starts basically training these lions to hunt, and puts together a pride, and eventually walks away, and these lions revert to the wild, and they go back to doing what they do. And they said, how is this possible? He said, they're lions. Yep. That's that's what they are. They're lions. And, and to me, liberty is the natural state of a human being. yeah So... All you're trying to do is restore a natural state, and that seems like a lot easier than pushing and forcing on an artificial state, which is what oppression is. Humans are not designed, we're not optimized to be oppressed and controlled and contained. We're community creatures. We're designed to be in communities, but we're optimized for liberty. That's our purpose. That's our function. That's how we work best. That's why you have prosperity in New Hampshire, because the more of your natural state you're in, the better you're going to do. Exactly. And, and somehow, in countless parts of the world, other than a little bit of tribalism, people got along okay without government for, for, you know, tens of thousands of years. It, it, it's actually a very modern creation government in of itself.
0: Yes, and, and, uh, particularly, you know, this flavor of sort of nation state, um, I, I, you know, I find it ironic because I do think, you know, America was, was an exceptional place and I will often ask people the question, well, if you can explain to me the difference between, if we're comparing, you know, socialist USSR way back in the day and America, we're in both countries, we are now busing kids to re-education camps. I mean, pretty much that's what the schools are and I did a, with the high school here. And it was really interesting to see the sorts of questions the kids were asking, and they were coming from such a status place, like they just couldn't even really fathom these ideas of natural rights, being born, um, you know, with the inalienable right to your life, liberty, and uh, property. And, and, and they just, you know, you could see that. I mean, I think I helped them at least think about it a little more. But, um, but yeah, we sort of have to go back to that, that belief that, you know, we are, we're born free, to go with your lion analogy. (laughs) You know, we're born free and, and anything that comes after that is usually not that great for the human condition.
1: Correct, so hey, you got yourself into some trouble recently didn't you? you got your, you got your, you got your ass arrested and charged with wiretapping for filming the police what's up with that you uh, renegade
0: yeah me me and my renegade self um actually, this happened almost uh, two years ago by now, and it was just a rant. And um, I was was going to stay with friends overnight and I was following the car in front of me and that car got pulled over for speeding and the officer told me to leave the scene and I was like, I don't really know where I'm going, so I'm just going to hang out here. And uh, the police were acting in a very strange, erratic, sort of bizarre way and I happened to have my video camera in the car and I was like, you know, this seems like a good time to just keep everyone accountable be a witness and just record the police and you know because we're activists obviously we have some experience in, in in you know the way it's done so I really did do it by the book you know I got out of the car I was like hey I'm audio and video recording I was a good 30 feet away from them behind a picket fence um, there was no danger of me you know interfering with them or anything but the long and the short of it is they didn't like that. They did not like that, you know, the light was being shone on their activities and I ended up getting arrested and I was charged three charges, wiretapping, which in New Hampshire carries a seven year felony, uh, penalty, as well as, you know, uh, resisting. Actually, I think it was disobeying an officer and I and, uh, uh, obstruction of governmental administration or something, and you know the beauty of it was every you know initially what happened is they only charged me with disobeying an officer because I refused to give them my uh, license of registration because i wasn 't operating the vehicle at the time it was parked, it was parked in a school parking lot, I was outside the car, you know so yeah, you know a little strappy maybe on my side, but um, the reason they ended up charging me with wiretapping was because they confiscated my camera. This was the evening at the police station where they chained me to a pole for like three hours. And, you know, it it was a fascinating, actually, Jack, it was a fascinating experience because, you know, you kind of, you watch movies or, you know, you, you know there's good cop, bad cop and all of that, and then it happens to you and you're like, wow, it's really like this. I mean, I got my police reports back from the police department and they just wholesale wholesale made things up where I was actually laughing out loud. They had me at one stage. They were like, she parked her car in the middle of the street and jumped out and ran towards us with something that looked like it might be a gun yelling, remember the cause. And I was like, you got to be kidding. No, no. I mean, that's what I started laughing. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to sue you guys. I am going to sue you. And I did. So, right now we've got a thirty two count um, federal case against the Weir uh, police department um, i I feel sort of vindicated in the sense that I said to them that night, "I am going to sue you. you know, I have a constitutional right to film public officials in public doing public duties and Correct. you know. And we've been fortunate. We just had the First Circuit out of Boston, out of, Mass- well, out of actually out of Boston. It was the Boston um, Supreme Court. Uh, the Glick decision, which, you know, G-L-I-K. So I like to say point shoot Glick um, with the camera. And, uh, you know, where they said, no, this is actually something that is enshrined in the Constitution. Of course, you're allowed to do this. If you're in public and they're, you know, and so I'm hoping that we get I I suspect they're going to want to settle just so that they don't get the to make it go away. Yeah. But I, you know, I'm hoping September come September, October, we can take this to trial and we can get a good on the record decision. Um, you know, in, in favor of, of personal freedoms. And I don't think, you know, given technology, sort of the meeting point of technology and the police state is a, an area that really fascinates me because I do feel like we have tools. You know, the internet and flip cameras and um, web quick you know, and websites like that is actually a way to hold people accountable. And I think that is why we are seeing a shift towards more liberty, um, amongst people who are savvy about things. So people who, you know, don't necessarily just partake in the mainstream media, but try and find the answers to, to life, you know, um, yeah. out, outside of that. And, you know, a long term, I think, They can't put the genie back in the bottle, and and we're going to win.
1: Well, what happened on the original charge? Do they dropped or downcharged or what?
0: Um, So we actually went to court, and um, they – they had added, so I originally went for the, the wiretapping charge because they refused to give me a receipt for my camera. And I was like, well, then I'm not leaving the police station because you're just, you're stealing my camera. So yeah. that's when they added the wiretapping. And then when we went for, after my arraignment, when we went, um, actually it was at my arraignment, the prosecutor, null Prost, so she said, I don't think that um, you know, we have a case here. Or I'm just going to make it kind of go away, but no process when they they kind of leave it dangling like they could sue you down the or charge you again down the line. I
1: got you. Or so, if they caught you for something else, they could use it as a an evidence a of the prior. Ship or, yeah.
0: So when she no prossed, I was actually so sort of incensed and so righteous, I guess that I instructed my attorney to file a motion to reinstate the charges because I wanted it to go to a jury trial. Okay. And, <laughs> and yeah, they'd never seen that before, and I don't think they've seen it since. But, you know, it's great because that works great for, for my case. I mean, I know I'm in the right. I know I didn't do the things they're saying I did. I know that yeah. everything I did was constitutionally protected. I know that they violated my rights. They took me out behind the police station at 2:30 in the morning in March when it's pretty damn cold here in New Hampshire still three big cops and they I mean they physically threatened me you know so I'm like no you don't get to do this you know and it's it's awesome. not it's you know and and I think you know I'm I I'm very confident I'm going to be vindicated
1: yeah, and uh, folks if you've never met uh Carla, if you did, you'd be surprised at who you were meeting. This this lady's a warrior, but she doesn't look like the warrior type. Um it's uh it's good to see people with a spine still exist. And uh, I'm glad you're standing up against these clowns. Um and, and I think you're in a different situation there, aren't you? Because they're making a real stretch with this wiretapping thing because I don't think they – like in Chicago, they have this they're, – they're fighting a different battle. They've actually passed a law that said you can't do it. Right. But where you're at, there is no law that says you can't videotape a police officer performing a public duty in a public place. Well so – they, they, they Go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Well, they're, they're basically, they're just abusing the wiretapping laws, right? They're just – they're basically taking something that has – No relevance to, I mean, wiretapping is all about surreptitious actions. So if I get out of my car and I'm like, Hey, I'm audio and video recording. They're on notice, you know, so they're using old fashioned laws because of course it's the state. So they're not the most nimble and they're like, ah, we could probably throw this book at these people. And they're just, that's not really how it works anymore. We're. Informed. We all share information. We have, you know, avenues and, and ideas. And I love, you know, I love the saying ideas are bulletproof. I, you know, it goes back to the genie in the bottle thing. So we, we all can spread information. And in Chicago, yes, they, they, or in Illinois, they did um, specifically outlaw it here. Here in New Hampshire, it's, it's been a little, it's been gray, but we've also had a number of successes, I did go and testify at the State House on several occasions. So we did try and pass a law that right now is in limbo, but I'm not that worried about it. Um, Because the Attorney General's office and I had said to them two years ago when this started, I talked to the AG at the State House one day, and I said, look, you know, you can make these issues go away. Just write a memo and tell them to stop arresting people for wiretapping, because obviously it's constitutionally protected speech. We're allowed to do it, and you guys don't have a leg to stand on. And she kind of looked at me like I was crazy. Might be the bear. (laughs) But then she she,
1: she wondered. It drives me nuts that these bureaucrats, they think they're like, oh, you can't just do that. Well, why not? It, it's, it, to me, look, I mean, this is basic law 101 you learn if you take any kind of a legal – probably you could probably take law courses in high school where you learn this. There's what's considered to be a reasonable expectation of privacy and then no expectation of privacy. And if you are in a public park and you are dealing drugs and there's a law against that and the police department has no warrant – But films you doing it in a public place, that evidence can and will be used against you. They don't need a warrant for it. If they want to video or wiretap your house, your private residence, where that reasonable expectation of privacy exists, then they need a warrant for that. And that's been very clear for a very long time. But now that everybody has an iPhone and a flip camera and everything else, they want to take that and say, well, it applies in all that case, but it doesn't apply to us
0: and 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 exactly and people people see that double standard and what i think sort of strengthens my case is now it's it's 2 years later and in the past 2 weeks the attorney general's office has issued a memo that is like yeah guys you need to stop arresting people for this because it's going to get a little extreme. Expensive, you know <laughs> and, and and in that Glick case the guy you know he got $170,000 settlement and um, there's a saying in, in Afrikaans in South Africa where I'm from which might not translate entirely well but it's like if you don't want to hear you have to feel and so you know with your pocket and so they didn't want to mm-hmm. listen and I'm like so now you have to actually feel and the, the sad part or the disconnect is that these, the, the state, of course, just, um, passes that off onto the taxpayer, right? So, yeah. so suddenly it's like, you know, um, the settlement, if, if there's a settlement, you know, it really goes to the taxpayers of the town of Weir. But the thing that's fantastic about Glick is it, it the case itself said, not only is it, um, obvious that you can do it and all of these things, but it said, hey, you know what? police officers and state employees, you can't be like, oh, well, I've got qualified immunity, so I don't have to pay. Um, they actually, in Glick, they said you don't. So what, one of the things we did oh. is we sued um, both you know, the, the PD itself we sued Any everyone officers. in their individual capacity, and mm. part of the reason for that was when I was chained to that pole, the 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 pipsqueak <laughs> was like twenty two. Uh, you know, he's been on the force for two years. He makes eighty thousand dollars a year.
1: Oh my god! This
0: this kid, pretty much. Um, I said to him, I was like. I am going to sue you when we're done here. And he looked at me and he shrugged and he was like, I don't care. We have insurance. We can do what we want.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, he just learned a lesson. I got a great idea too. If you win a big settlement after you pay all your legal fees and all, why not take a portion of the settlement, right, and put it into like a nonprofit fund And then people within New Hampshire that have pledged to support the Free State Project can can get a free flip camera if they agree to carry it in their person in their car at all times and whenever they see police activity, video the police. That's great. Take their own money and stick it right up their own ass and go, now, now this is what you have done.
0: That is actually, I mean, I want, I I want to do something similar and in fact, Jack, I think your idea is better than mine so I may steal that.
1: So let's 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 get on a happier subject. So you kind of grew up a city girl, but now you're out there harvesting your own turkeys. What, what's up with that?
0: I am with my own bare hands. Um, actually, one of the the beautiful things is, you know, in New Hampshire. You can both live in you know in the city if you want. And our biggest city here is Manchester. It's got about 120,000 people. So really, by all shakes of it, it's, it's a small town, but you know, it's a, it's our big little city, and then um, obviously there there's lots of rural areas and small towns, so some of my best friends uh, live up at the Bardo Farm, which is an off-the-grid, entirely sustainable farm. They do pig farming, they do veggies, they do survivalist courses. Um, in fact, they're having their annual Bardo Farm Fest, which will be May 25th to the 28th, and if people are interested, they can find them at uh, bardoproject.com, and so a few years ago, when we just moved up from New York City, I was sort of like, oh, okay, like, I went to Appleseed, so I learned to shoot, and then I was like, oh, I should probably learn how to, like, you know, can stuff and make food. And, and I'm the kind of person and I, you know, I am a city girl. I, you know, I like going to the opera and I like artsy fartsy stuff and poetry and that kind of stuff. But I was also like, well, I want to challenge myself and I want to learn new skills and, and be able to survive, you know, if, if, if it comes to that. So I went up to Bardo and they were our neighbors at the time actually. And, I was like, hey, it's Thanksgiving. I've paid to feed this turkey, which is going to be my dinner. I think I should personally kill it. And, you know, they showed me how. And, you know, we trussed the turkey up, and we did it with uh, a a slice through the neck and a bleeding out. And I have to say, my first turkey, I cried. By my 10th turkey, I'm like, hey, can I get the guts out because it's cold and this is the only warm place for my head?
1: (laughs) As a deer hunter, I understand that uh, a cold a cold day gutting a deer is not a chore. It's a, it's a, it's a it's an opportunity to warm your hands, and exactly. I, I think that there's there is a, there is a good component to having remorse for taking an animal's life that's going to sustain you. It, it shouldn't prevent you from doing it, but I would think that now you're much more in touch with the sacrifices required by both man and animal. So that you can eat
0: well. Yes, and actually, I think that you know that hits the nail on the head. Is it's that sort of um, simpatico, and it's that sort of it's it's the the cycle of life, and sort of knowing. um, I mean, we're fortunate now. You know, we, we source all our meat locally. Um, you know, we get our chickens from there, we get our turkeys, we get our pork, um, we work, they work with other partners in terms of getting, um, beef, raw milk, you know, the kinds of cheeses we want. And it has, it really has, um, sort of, you know, refocused for me, you know, um, I know you do the paleo diet and I mean, you know, I, I like carbs, but you know, I kind of try to stick to it and, and there's a real connection between, you know, us and, and the other creatures in, on, on the earth. And there's a compassion, I think, that actually comes from understanding that process and an appreciation.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that. I think that, that, that most people today When they sit down to a plate of food, and I don't care whether it's veggies, potatoes, or meat, or whatever, have no idea of the blood and sweat that went into its production. And because of that, we've lost touch with what food is and what a food supply is. And that's why people say, well, you know, I've had people ask, well, especially people that like when I first tell them about the modern food system, how it works, all the toxins, all the poisons, everything that's in it. And they don't believe you, and then they find out, and then they go, "Holy crap! Why does everybody just eat it? Because right. they don't even know what it's supposed to be." Yep, you know, and that's why. And you're like, why didn't you even believe me when I told you? It just seemed, and they're like, "Well, it just seemed impossible that that was the case." Right, and, and that's where I think people are—they're so out of touch with how food actually gets to a plate that the concept that it it actually could be damaged along the way, and everybody involved would be okay with it, it just seems foreign
0: to them. Yeah, and, and I mean, I know that kids now, um, and I'm sure this might be worldwide. It's, it's not necessarily just America. You know, if you ask them where milk comes from, they'll tell you it comes from a carton from the store. They have no concept that it comes from a cow and that entire process has become so, destroyed by, you know, chemicals and hormones and all of those things that in some ways, it's not really even coming from a cow anymore. And I think one of the biggest things that we're going to see in in the liberty movement across the board is the return as we are seeing to localism, figuring out where your food is sourced. Um, you know there there's a there's a symbiosis between you know people who like to make food and small farms i mean i love the idea that i know where my food comes from now um you know during the summer here we we go to the farmers markets you support so it becomes it, it it circles back to that concept of community where everyone, you know, it's just, it's, it's a healthier balance. Like we're all, you know, we're all atoms out in the world and we're all touching each other. And, and it just sort of brings it back in a way that's real and, and human and healthy and awesome.
1: <laughs> well, um, I think one of the things that's really preserved small farms in the Northeast is the limited area that someone actually could put in a mega farm. Yes. Because of the terrain and the way things are shaped up there and the growing season, all of it together, it's a wonderful place to produce food, but you're not going to set up a 10,000-acre farm, no matter how much money you have, in Vermont, because it won't, or, or, I'm sorry, New Hampshire, because it won't work. You can't do it in Vermont. You can't do it in most of the, that whole New England area up there and a lot of Pennsylvania and northern New Jersey and parts of New York where they maybe don't have the Liberty thing right, but the small farms have been preserved. Sure. It's geographically they can't do what they do in nebraska you know ten thousand acres of row crop it it won't work it can't be done and that's giving you something to hold on to so now you're in a great place to rebuild it
0: exactly and you know and there there are some great farmers out this way there's a guy up in maine who you know has greenhouses so he grows throughout the seasons both winter and summer and you know the winters can be a little nippy out here (laughs) And he, um, you know, he, he has done a whole thing where basically with two acres and, um, greenhouses that work on rollers, you can, you know, you can continue to feed yourself through the seasons. Um, I love the, the tiny little farms. I, uh, cider, there are a lot of apple farms up here. There's a great farmer up in the upper valley area who, uh, he was involved with the, the, Omnivore's Dilemma and uh, Joel Salatin and those guys who have said, you know, anyone who wants to come and graft trees from my trees can do that. So there really is a, a, a beautiful sort of localism thing that's developing. And it's not just liberty based or a lot of times you'll talk to people, you know, they're just, I guess we started with dirty hippies, so we'll probably end with those too. But, you know, where it's just people who are, who just instinctively know this is what they want. This is what's good and right and those things for them. And um, and there's sort of that bridging that's happening between communities where it's it's just people who, you know, instinctively understand issues of liberty because that's how they're living their lives.
1: Well, I think it's like all roads lead to liberty, it's, and 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 that's it, preparedness is a part of that as well. Because what I found is like if people will say, well, how do I? And I just did a show, you know, yesterday about how to get people involved with preparedness, mm-hmm. and I'm like, one of the great ways is get them to grow a garden. It's a gateway drug, right? So, like, I get you to grow a garden, then you end up with all this food, and it ends up being like at the end of the season when you get that huge tomato and pepper harvest. Like, I, I can't, I can't eat it all. I can't even right. give it away. I, I got to do something with it. So then they figure out how to dehydrate or can. Then they store food. Now I got you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I tricked you. And, and then, and then you start to you put that those cans of food in your pantry. and You look at it and go, cool. And you go, now I actually feel good about that. And then you start. And each person will walk a different path, but they're going to end up in the same conclusion that as soon as I start looking after myself and my family, I don't need somebody else to do it for me anymore. It feels good. Perhaps if I do more, then it'll feel better. I remember one person asked Ron Paul about the concept of decriminalization of marijuana. He said, well, maybe if I give you a little bit of freedom, you'll like it and want more. (laughs) And it was one of the best responses I ever heard the guy give. I was like, I wish that... That spot on kind of fast response. I wish he was, you know, charismatic like that all the time. I think he'd get right. a lot more of his message out. But I think we're all on the same path, and just it's a matter of how far we've been taken away from it. But as soon as you take any of these things that put you back on the trail, well, you can see ahead, right? So you get lost in the woods, you can't find your way. But as soon as you, if you start, you know, just pick a single direction and cross a trail, now it's going to lead somewhere.
0: Yep, and I like to think that road leads to New Hampshire. <laughs>
1: I'm about to. So, I mean, I've had a blast having you on today, Carla. I can't wait to see you again the next time I'm up your way. I'm sure if people want to want to make the move to New Hampshire, you and all the other members up there are willing to help them do that. Where do they find out more about how to uh, how to support you or how to relocate with you?
0: So, um, definitely go to w- org or find us on Facebook um, under Free State Project, Free State Project Group, and. Um, yeah, check us out. If it sounds like something that's good, please take the pledge. Someone will be in touch. We can also – you can sign up as a friend of the Free State Project if you don't think you're the person who's going to move. Also, word of mouth is vitally important. If you hear the show and you're like, I'm never going to move because, you know, grandma's down the street and whatnot, you can still – um You can still, you know, tell other people. We've had a lot of our most active participants have just been told randomly by someone, hey, have you ever heard of the Free State Project? You should check it out. It's not for everyone, but it's for someone, and we'd love to see them here.
1: You know, and I think that there's a vested interest for all of us, even those of us that may never relocate, to help you guys get where you're going. Because I've always said that you spread liberty by example. And the more successful somebody is with liberty, the more other people want to be involved with liberty. And I see what you guys doing in New Hampshire is leading the way with that. And with my wife's attachment to her family, dragging her two thousand miles is probably never gonna happen. And where mama's <laughs> going, papa's staying. Yep. But you know, yep. what part of why I support you guys so much is because I believe if, if you if somebody says to me, Well, what's it look like, I can go, that's what it looks like. And and you know, what's the antithesis of it? Uh let's try Chicago and, and Boston.
0: <laughs> <right>? <laughs> and, and
1: then you just tell me which one you'd like to be more like. Yeah. And I think that we can get a long way if we uh if we 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 send people down the right path by saying look here's what it looks like here's what we can get done
0: yes absolutely like i said if we can you know if we can be a small shot of liberty to be an example for other people, to show people it's not as scary as you think it is. It's a workable solution. We don't have to have all of this control and all of this boot on our neck in order for for society to function. Uh, you know, we appreciate your support. We appreciate the support of others. We're always happy to take money. You can donate on our page too. And Jack, I just wanted to say thank you so much. I know you actually generously gave us some ad space on your show and we really appreciate that because I think your audience is a good fit for what we're trying to do here.
1: I completely agree and that's why I did it. And I, I mean I made a commitment as I built this community that if it brought me success I would give back and it's it's a place where just for the audience's edification as sponsors attrit and not many of them do, but as they do, I am likely from at this point forward to start supporting other groups, possibly Oath Keepers and Appleseed as is, is the next two, uh, without charging for the sponsorship. And, and instead of having the sponsor sponsor the show, have the show sponsor the sponsor, I, I know yeah. that's insane, but I am the insane entrepreneur. That's what I do. That's what and, we love
0: uh, you. <laughs> yeah.
1: And that's that but see I think that more businesses need to start thinking that way. That. Um, as a business person, nothing could be better for me than for the Free State Project to work. Sure. It would expand my market base. It would ex- expand tax freedom across the country. It, it's the greatest thing that could ever happen to me as a small business person, so I should support it. Uh, having an armed in- country, that's good for my business, too, because an armed society – doesn't usually loot stuff and if you're successful you have stuff and I'd like it not to be taken away please um so so I am just trying to take that approach and and find groups and you know when given the opportunity to do it with you guys and I knew I was going to do it for two months and I I sure as heck wasn't going to tell you uh so that's why I held (laughs) off the announcement until uh, I was actually up there speaking but The guys that you guys replaced, I don't know if you even know this, they were actually willing to renew. I didn't want them them anymore because they were not part of the community. They didn't do anything wrong, but they didn't do anything to be engaged with the community. And you guys are all about community, so I'm happy to have you.
0: Thank you so much. And we, we, you know, we genuinely appreciate it because ultimately if we are going to move to a more voluntary society, a society where people choose to interact because they choose to do it, not because they're forced to do it, this, what you were just describing is exactly what we want is a business person going, this person is going to help me in the long term. I'm going to help you. How do we together make something that's better for everyone without? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And Carla, hey, uh, anytime you want to come back on the air, especially if something comes up, maybe you'll come back and give us an update about the lawsuit, even if it's not a full episode, if it's like a 15-minute segment, you're welcome anytime. Just get in touch with myself or Darth, and we'll get you scheduled and get you back on.
0: Will do. Thank you so much for having me.
1: All right, folks. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko today, along with Carla Garrick, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't.